Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. But we're going to begin a six-week series titled A Lifestyle of Prayer. A Lifestyle of Prayer. And I was telling Brianne last night, we were in the house, and I said, we, we got home from the Nutcracker, because uh, our whole family's in the Nutcracker every year, and, uh, and that's a wonderful thing. And so we, we got home late, and it was about 11.30 last night, and I was just going over the last little bit of my notes and printing my copies out for this morning. And I said to her, she said, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm good. I said, I'm feeling the weight of this series. Not every series that I prepare feels this way. And it's not a heavy thing. It's not a burden as much as it is, you know, the glory of God is a weighty thing. The glory of God, when, when the Bible describes the presence of the Lord, for example, in 2 Chronicles, when David, or excuse me, when Solomon dedicates the temple that he built, that his father David financed, Solomon builds the temple for all of Israel, and the Bible says that after they had sacrificed hundreds of thousands of animals, it's, it's amazing well, anyways, I won't say that. Otherwise, I'll go preaching in a different direction. Jesus' blood is amazing. But they sacrificed hundreds of thousands of animals. And the Bible says they all, the whole congregation stood up and they all declared with one voice, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And after they had declared that as a congregation, the Bible says the cloud of God's glory the heavenly smoke of God's glory filled the whole temple and none of the priests, the Bible said, could stand to minister. None of them, it was, the, the weight of the glory of God was so substantial that everybody's nose was pressed into the carpet and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There are some things that are weighty as I've gotten into this series of preparation for the next six weeks, this is going to take us through the month of January. We're going to close out 2019 in prayer, and we're going to start 2020 in prayer. Amen? The Bible talks about us dwelling in the land and feeding on his faithfulness. Are you familiar with this from Psalm 37? It says, do good, dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. We're gonna close 2019 out by, in prayer, feeding on the faithfulness of God. We're gonna look over our shoulder and look what the Lord has done in 2019. We're gonna be happy, we're gonna rejoice in prayer. And then we're going to start to sow seeds into 2020 so that 2020 is the best year yet. As I've been doing this and preparing, I feel the weight of it because it's the glory of God. I want to direct your attention to James chapter 5, verse 16. I'm sorry, I didn't set my timer up here yet. 
Give me just a second. I don't want to preach too long. I have another nutcracker performance this afternoon, so we need, need to be efficient. I am a rat in the nutcracker, and I am also in the par- party scene. Not a whole lot of dancing, but more just stage movement. So James chapter 5, verse 16. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I believe you see it up on the screen says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I grew up, like Sean was saying in the offering, in the King James and the New King James. So we would read this verse and we'd say, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But here's the thing. We don't use the word availeth all that often in our culture. I don't know. Maybe you do, but I I certainly do not. So I I looked to the New Living, and I thought, there's got to be a better way to say this. And here it is. The effective, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Everybody say "Great great power. Great power. And produces wonderful results. Your prayer life has tremendous power. And it is working to produce great things in your life. Here's the problem. I don't think we really believe this. As I started to get into this and dig into this this series, I thought, Lord, there's so many different prayer verses that I could use as like the verse for the series, right? I mean, you could use Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves I will, and pray and seek my face, I'll hear from heaven and I'll hear their land, heal their land. That's a great prayer scripture. First John chapter 5 talks about this, the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the, 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 we have the confidence that we have these things that we've asked of him. I, there's so many good prayer verses, but I thought, which, which is the right one? And as I came to this scripture and started to dig into this idea that the, the earnest prayer of a righteous person makes tremendous power available and produces wonderful results, the more I looked at it, the more I said to myself, people don't believe this. Because if they did, they would pray. Yeah. It's a sad state of affairs. And I'm going to try not to be negative in this series. I really want you to know that. But it's a sad state of affairs when you look across the body of Christ and realize most Christians just don't have a prayer life. The totality of most Christians' prayer life is, thank you for this food, bless it to our bodies in Jesus' name, amen, let's eat. Or while they're brushing their teeth, Lord in Jesus' name, bless my my day, thank you, uh, hallelujah, amen. That's the extent of our prayer life. And I realized that's not going to cut it in God's kingdom. If we really, really believed that prayer produced wonderful results, we would actually pray. My hope for us in this series is that by the time we finish this series, you will know why you should pray. 
you will have a strong grasp on what it means to pray effectively. And you will know how to pray. I believe that prayer is an art. It's something you get better at. It's like any other thing. How many of you rode the bike the first time you hopped on it? No, everybody fell in the bushes, right? Everybody fell the first few times. But after a while, you got good. After a while, you found some rhythm. After a while, you said, oh, I like this. This is easy. I can keep going with this. And then you got faster. And then you started building jumps for yourself to jump off of, right? And then you started going off-road. But it started by getting up on the bike. Well, prayer is the same thing. It's, it's an art. It's something that we start small and we grow in. So I want you, by the end of this series, I want you to know why you should pray. I want you to know how to pray. And I want you to have a strong desire to pray by the time we finish this series. I believe with all of my heart that the most important spiritual discipline in the life of a believer is consistent, heartfelt, faith-filled prayer. I'm going to be honest with you and transparent with you. I am nowhere near where I want to be in my prayer life. Not even close. When I read about the, the faith giants, this is why I was in such a melancholy mood this week, because I'm looking at all these massive world changer people throughout the histories uh, and throughout the history of the world that changed the body of Christ and changed the world. You ought to go back and look at what John Wesley said about prayer. Go back and look at what A.W. Tozer said about prayer. Go look back and see what Charles Spurgeon said about prayer. There were mighty men and women of God throughout history that literally have shaped society by their prayer life. I'm nowhere near where I want to be. During this series, we'll be studying and analyzing the different attributes of prayer. Again, our goal for us is to come away with this series or from this series with a strong grasp on what it means to pray effectively. I don't know about you, I don't want to pray ineffective prayers. How many of you would love for your prayer to not be answered? Right? That's just bogus. That's bogus. No, we want to pray effectively, and we want to increase our strong desire, or we want our desire to become strong, to pray every single day. I shouldn't go a day without prayer. And again, I'm not talking about, bless my food, Jesus, before I eat this chicken salad sandwich. No, I'm talking about, Lord, I'm here only for you. It's you and me, and this is my time with you. That should be happening every day in our life. I hope that you're challenged by this series. I am, I am being, I'm being so challenged as I prepare it. I hope it challenges you, and I hope it inspires you. I hope it stirs you up that when we get done, you are just have to sit on your hands to keep from clapping because you're just absolutely <laughs> pumped to get in your prayer closet. Amen? So we're going to look at different attributes of prayer. And I've, I've, called them, I've called these attributes prayer essentials. So I want to try and unpack this in a way that's easy to remember. Uh, so I'm calling these, these attributes that we're going to cover, I'm calling them prayer essentials. And I've, uh, in order to make them easy to remember, we're going to use words that start with C. 
Now, I'm normally not this clever when it comes to series, but I think the Lord helped me out. There's six different attributes from the New Testament that we want to cover. Number one, connection. Our prayers is, is our connection to God. Number two, conversation. Number three, confidence. You'll never get a prayer answered without confidence. Number four, consistency. Number five, don't get nervous, charismatic. If you don't know what that word means, you will by week five. Number six, compassionate. You can't separate love from prayer. Connection, conversation, confidence, consistency, charismatic, and compassionate. I want to jump in this morning with prayer essential number one, and that is connection. Turn with me to John chapter 15, please. John chapter 15. Oh man, I'm starting to get excited. John chapter 15. We're going to read verses 5, 6, and 7 of John chapter 15. I'm reading from the New King James, and it says, I am the vine. You'll notice that these words are in red, so that means Jesus is talking. And when Jesus is talking, we should be listening, right? John 15, 5, in red, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. Everybody say, that's not me. You're abiding in God, aren't you? So you don't have to worry about that scripture being you. Number seven, this is you. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. This is one of those great fridge, you know, bathroom mirror life verses. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. It should be an established concept to us that the end result of a prayer is an answer from God. It should be an established concept with us that the end result of a prayer is an answer from God. I'm going to give you two quotes this morning from a man named Bill Johnson. He says, Jesus never taught us how to deal with unanswered prayer. Because he never thought that a prayer should be unanswered. Did you ever notice that? Did you ever notice Jesus, the head of the church, never says, guys, here's what you do when your prayers don't get answered. Never. Paul, the apostle, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, 13 books of the Bible. How many of you think he knows something? doesn't ever mention, here's what you do when your prayers don't get answered. This is not a New Testament concept. This is not an idea that, uh, it's an idea that floats around in our world, but it's not an idea that was propagated by the Bible. 
How many of you know that for a concept to be scriptural, what do you have to have for it? Scripture. This is not a trick question, right? In order for something to be biblical, where does it have to come from? The Bible. Thank you. You guys are scholars. The, the, the scripture never talks to us about, okay, here's what you do when you pray and God doesn't answer you. It's because Jesus never presumed that there would be unanswered prayer. When he talked to God, it happened. When he had conversation with his father, he received from his father. He said, I only do the things I see my father do, and I only say the things I hear my father say. There was a connection between Jesus and between the Father. The second quote I want to give you is this. We are surprised when our prayers get answered. Jesus' disciples were surprised when their prayers were not. Do you remember when they tried to cast out the demon of the boy with epilepsy in the book of Luke? They are trying, they're working up, they're frothed up, they're doing their best Jesus impression. Come out of this boy in Jesus' name. Nothing happens. Did you notice what the disciples do when their prayer doesn't get answered? They pull Jesus aside and they say, why couldn't we cast the demon out of the boy? Why couldn't we cast the demon out of the boy? And Jesus teaches him why. He says it was because of your unbelief. He said this, this kind of unbelief doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. Jesus, Jesus ended up turning it into a lesson, but one of the most, most profound things about that passage is the fact that the disciples pulled Jesus aside and said, Jesus, two plus two is not equal in four right now. We tried to do something in your name and it didn't work. Why? The disciples were shocked when their prayers did not get answered because the paradigm was that prayers always get answered. It should be an established concept to us that the end result of a prayer is an answer from God. Look at what verse 7 says of John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Do you see a whole lot of gray area in that? I sure don't. Now I understand you've prayed prayers that haven't been answered. I've prayed prayers that haven't been answered. We'll get to why that is and we'll figure out how to fix it because that should not be the norm. That's what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. It should not be normal for us to lay hands on the sick and nothing happen. It should not be normal for us to pray over our children and they get worse instead of getting better. It should not be, that should not be the norm. But we have, we've gotten so distant from God in our lives and in our culture that that's the only response that's left is that things don't work when we pray. But God says, that's not the way it should be. If you abide in me and my words are abiding in you, you're gonna ask what you desire and it's gonna be done for you. I wanna submit to you this morning that the number one reason why many people's prayers are not answered is because of a lack of connection to God. The number one reason why many people's prayers are not answered, I believe this, is because of a lack of connection to God. Prayer is key to connecting with God. 
And connection to God is the key to answered prayer. It works in a beautiful, circular, kind of symbiotic relationship. The key to connecting with the Lord is prayer. And the key to answered prayer is connection with the Lord. Jesus helps us to understand this in this passage of John 15. If you look down through history, I mentioned this a little bit ago. If you look through history, you'll find that the greatest men and women of God were the ones who were known for their prayer lives. I'm telling you, this stuff fires me up so much. It's so convicting to me because I go, Lord, ah, I'm not trying to turn my relationship with you into a bunch of dead works, but Lord, I've got to spend more time with you. I'm not trying to earn brownie points with you, Lord. I just want you. You know, I'm not trying to get anything from you, Lord, except you. I just want you and me to be together at the same time in the same place. And I want that to last as long as it can. If you look through history, you find the greatest people were the people who were known for their prayer lives. Smith Wigglesworth said that he never prayed for more than 15 minutes, but he never went more than 15 minutes without praying. And I... I was reading a book that was written by his son-in-law, Albert Hibbert. And Albert says in the book, it's a very, very good book. If you ever get a chance to read it, it's called Smith Wigglesworth, The Secret of His Power. It's a little tiny book. You could read it in half an hour. Albert Hibbert says that while they were driving, he, he picked up Smith, and they're driving in the car, and they're just chit-chatting, and they're you know, a few miles down the road, and Smith goes, stop the car! And Albert thought something was wrong, so he pulled the car over under the shoulder, What's wrong? And Smith didn't even acknowledge his question. He says, Father, we have been traveling and we have not yet acknowledged you. And he began to pray. Is it any wonder that the man raised 20 people from the dead? He lived to pray. John D. Rockefeller, after spending two hours with Charles Spurgeon, said that he discovered the secret to Spurgeon's global ministry. He seemed to me to be a man of prayer. Imagine that. John D. Rockefeller was an oil tycoon. Y'all know who the Rockefellers were. Billionaires. Sought out Charles Spurgeon, who lived in England, and traveled over to England just to spend some time with this guy because though he had all the money, fame, power, and ability in the world, he didn't have God, and he knew something was missing. So he sought out Charles Spurgeon, and after spending a couple hours with him, he says, I've discovered the key to this man's global ministry. He seemed to me to be a man of prayer. Charles Spurgeon once said, Prayer has become as essential to me as the heaving of my lungs and the beating of my pulse. It seems like people in the 1800s just talked better. Yeah. <laughs> then they just say things that make you go, ooh, yeah. Prayer has become as essential to me as the heaving of my lungs and the beating of my pulse. George Mueller, you ever, know, you ever know who George Mueller was? He's somebody you should look up. George Mueller said, I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk about when I lie down and when I rise up, and the answers are always coming. I love that. 
I love that. I, he says, I, I live in a spirit of prayer. This is my lifestyle. I'm When I'm coming, when I'm going, when I'm walking, when I'm listening, when I'm laying down, when I'm sitting up, when I'm sleeping, I'm praying. And guess what? The answers just keep on coming. What a life. What an adventure with God to live this way. Last quote, A.W. Tozer said regarding prayer, we please God most, not by frantically trying to make ourselves good, but by throwing ourselves into his arms. We please God most, not by frantically trying to make ourselves good, but by throwing ourselves into his arms. When you pray, you are throwing yourselves into the arms of God. When you get alone with the Lord and you begin to engage with him in prayer, you're hurling yourself into his arms. I mean, if you have kids that when, they, when you come home, they run to meet you. My daughters, they do this. Claire doesn't do it as much anymore. She's kind of old and too cool for that now. But Abigail and Sophia, they still, when they see me sometimes, they just come running, Daddy's home, yay! And they jump into my arms. That's what you do to God every time you start to pray. And it doesn't have to be lofty, and it doesn't have to be all this King James 18th century English. You don't have to sound like Downton Abbey to pray, to, you know, to pray effectively. You can just say, God, I need your help today. Lord, I need, you to, I need you to speak to me today. I mean, what would happen if you talked to God the way you talk to other people? Because, you know, he's, he's real. <laughs> he's real, and you can be honest with him. You can be straight with him. Lord, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's where I'm at. God, this is what I desire. This is what my heart is crying out for. This is what your word says about how my life should look. And right now, they don't look the same. So I need you to help me. I need you to step into my life and start to fix things in me and start to change things in me. Lord, change my mind. Change my heart. Do whatever you got to do in me so that my life starts to look like the promise that you made in your word. That's prayer. It's not, you know, we, my, my family, both my, both my parents were raised Catholic. And my dad's side, they're Irish Catholic. And my mom's side, they're Roman, they're Italian Catholics. And, but my dad's side, they have a prayer that they pray before dinner. You probably heard this prayer. It's a very popular Catholic thing. Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. That, to me, sounds like a very rehearsed, like nobody says, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty. That just doesn't sound, that's not relatable. Your prayer doesn't have to sound like that in order to be effective. It can be, you want to know what the most, some of the most effective prayers have been throughout history? Help, God! Help! I need you! <laughs> I want to take the cookies and put them on the lowest shelf so that everybody can get them. Okay, I want, I want this to, I want to, I want you to understand how easy it is for you to come before your father. He loves you. Prayer is the key to connecting with God. Now, how do we connect to God? In the, in the last little bit of this message today, I want you to understand, here's how we connect to God. Jesus gave us the answer. If you'd put verse 7 back up on the screen. Of John 15, Jesus gave us the answer right in the first three words. 
if you abide. If you abide in me. Do you want your prayers to get answered? It's not a trick question. You want a yes? Do you want your prayers to get answered? Then the secret, the key, it's not a secret. It's right there in plain sight. But it's the key to your prayer and my prayer getting answered is abiding in God. Abiding in God is the essence of what it means to be connected to him. One of the things that has helped me to understand my relationship with the Lord has been my marriage. Because if you read your Bible correctly, you'll understand that by the time this is all wrapped up, you and I are called the bride of Christ. Mm -hmm. So for all of eternity, we're going to be joined to Christ like a bride is joined to her husband. So when I got married, I started to understand my relationship with God a whole lot more effectively. Because I realized that even though we're married and we have the same last name and our marriage has not changed, we may not be in fellowship. How many of you know you could be married and not speaking? (laughs) Right? There's a difference between just being saved and abiding. It's an issue of fellowship. It's an issue of connection. Just because I'm not you know, connected to God, I might still be going to heaven. I'm on my way. I love Jesus. I'm a good person. I want to do good things. And you know, God's favor will rest upon me to a certain measure, and, and life will be okay, and I'll still make it to heaven. I can be a Christian and go through my whole life unconnected to God. But that's not the way we were meant to live. That's, that's the key to your prayers not getting answered, is to just be married but have no fellowship. I got the same last name. We share the same house. We sleep in the same bed, but we ain't on speaking terms. A lot of us do Jesus that way. A lot of us, that's our relationship with the Lord is, yeah, I, I identify as a Christian, but I'm not connected. Abiding in God is the essence of what it means to be connected to God And that's what gets your prayers answered. The word abide in the Greek means to remain, to not depart. I like this. To continue to be present. Oh, that's a sticky one. That one hurts. How many times do we get in our prayer closet and it's just routine? We're not even present. We're just running down a list. Lord Jesus, I thank you in Jesus' name that you bless my bread and, bread and water, take sickness far from the midst of me, and bless when I come, bless when I go. And what I'm really thinking about is all the stuff i got to do today. I could be in the midst of this routine of prayer. God's not looking for that. He wants you, and he wants you to want him engaged together. This is cool. The last portion of the definition of this word abide in the Greek means to remain as one, not to become another or become different. Oh, golly. How many of you know that as people, you and I cycle through different personas all throughout the day? When I'm talking to my kids, I'm this way. When I'm talking to my wife, I'm this way. When I'm at the job, I'm this way. I wear all these different masks for the appropriate occasion. The word abide means to get rid of all of that that I'm not different, I remain as one. I don't 
cycle through my different prayer masks with God? What if I just got alone with him and took off the mask and said, Lord, here, here I am. This is me. Let's have fellowship. That's abiding. That's staying in connection to God. Most of us don't have an unanswered prayer problem. We have an abiding problem. If you're taking notes, you want to write that one down. Most of us don't just have an unanswered prayer problem. Well, Pastor, when I pray, nothing seems to happen. Well, let's take a step back and find out why. Most of us don't just have an unanswered prayer problem. We have an abiding problem. We maintain connections with everything else at the expense of our connection to Jesus. I'm going to use my wife as an example here, so I need you to stand up and be Jesus. <laughs> so my wife is Jesus, just for right now, okay? And, and here, here's, how this, here's how this works. I'm going to come into connection with Jesus. Mm-hmm. See, I'm shaking her hand. Here we are. Mm-hmm. Lord, I love you. I worship you. Don't let this go to your head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here I am in connection. And then here's what happens. Maybe I spent a few minutes with God in prayer this morning. And then something comes up. Some distraction comes up. And so I go get in connection with the distraction. Sorry, you got to be a distraction this morning. Right? And here I am. And what did I do? I left Jesus where I put him. And then another distraction comes up. How are you, distraction? Good to meet you. Yeah, nice to see you. Hey, Netflix series. Let's binge this together. Right? Let's spend the next six hours just, office. yeah, the office. That's good. Let's do three seasons today. Yeah, that's it. That's right. Easily. Will says easily. Yeah, that's right. Netflix, let's binge watch some stuff. You see, it's amazing to me how our culture has trended towards that. Have you noticed? I was talking to a friend just this week about series, and, and he said it, there, there was a, the Disney Plus channel came out, and they're not, they're not letting you binge watch everything. They're loading stuff. Anyways, he said it was bothering him that he couldn't binge watch a whole season of the show The Mandalorian. He's like, I got to wait till next week. I'm like, settle down, chief. Good Lord. Five years ago, you couldn't binge watch anything, and you seem to be just fine. Now, all of a sudden, your world's coming apart because you can't watch something consecutively for eight episodes. What are we doing? We're engaged in so much distraction, and Jesus is back where we left him. And then we wonder why I'm over here watching Jim and Pam in the office, and I can't get my prayers answered. It's because I'm disconnected. Look at the distance. And Netflix comes calling, and Facebook and Instagram comes calling, and your gossipy neighbor comes calling, and fear comes calling, and concern comes calling, and all this depression comes calling. And what is the first thing we do? We say, I'll be right back, and we go answer the distraction. And we've lost our connection. But what happens if I make the decision that I'm going to abide I'm not going to visit. I'm going to abide. And now, when something else comes up, can I take Jesus with me into this area of life? When I got to go to work, can I take Jesus with me to work? 
when I'm engaged in this different thing? Can I take, can I, I'm not telling you you can't watch Netflix, but can you watch Netflix with Jesus? Right? <laughs> I'm not saying you can't have a phone conversation or hang out with your friends or do this or that. You should enjoy your life. You just yeah. need to take the Lord with you yeah. into it. Can you take Jesus to the grocery store? Can you take him to the gym? Can you take him to school? Can you take him to work? Can he be everywhere with you all the time and yeah. you be connected yeah. right. so that when it comes time to pray, the prayer gets answered? Yeah. Now, here's the deal. Can you take Jesus in, I'm going to pick on you for just a second. Can you take Jesus into something that he's not going to be excited about? Can I take Jesus, you know, Sean's dad when we were kids used to tell us this all the time. You remember this? He would say, I don't care what movie you watch. Just ask yourself the question, would Jesus watch the movie with you? Can you, can you sit there with Jesus and the two of you hang out and enjoy this sex scene? How many F-bombs do you think Jesus is going to tolerate? Mm -hmm. Y'all think I'm being funny. I'm not. Amen. Right? How much drama do you think Jesus is going to endorse in our life? Mm -hmm. You see, connection to God is a guarantee that you live free from sin. Amen. It's a guarantee. Paul says in Galatians, he says, if you walk in the Spirit... You won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Do you know why? You'll be too busy walking in the spirit. Yeah, Here, me and Jesus are having such a good time. I don't have time for the flesh. Yeah. You get to the point, thank you, darling. You get to the point where you become like David. David said in the book of Psalms, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you. <laughs> Your prayer life could get so rich and so good that literally every part of you, spirit, soul, and body, is hungry for God. He says, he goes on to say, my heart and my flesh cry out for you, the living God. We used to sing songs about it in the 90s. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. I'd rather have five minutes with Jesus than the world with a fence wrapped around it. Amen. Can I bring Jesus into every area of my life without letting him go? That is what makes your prayer life effective. That is what's going to make James chapter 5, verse 16 come true. We confess our sins to one another, and we pray for one another that we might be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person is tremendously powerful and produces great results. How about for the next six weeks, we ratchet up our prayer life as a church? as families, as individuals, whatever your situation is, however your life looks, everybody's a little bit different, you know? What if we just decide collectively, we're gonna crank up our prayer life. I'm gonna get connected to God on purpose and do everything I can to keep the connection. Let's do it. Yes, amen, let's do it, man. Let's do it. So here's what I wanna say to you. Be intentional this week about being connected to God. Be intentional. I'm going to submit to you 
this connection, this first C word that we talked about for prayer, this idea of connection is not going to happen by itself. You're not going to fall into it. You're not going to accidentally find yourself connected to God. The reason is, it's not, it's, listen, it's, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. The reason you won't fall into connection with God is because literally everything in this world, in this world system, is fighting you against it. Everything around you is fighting for your attention. It is. It's the default setting of the world around us. Everything is fighting for my attention and for my focus and for my gaze. And so I, I submit to you that in order to crank down on your prayer life, you got to get intentional. Be intentional about being connected to God. If you don't have a prayer life, start one. You don't have to come into this with a pedigree. Nobody does. Nobody comes into this with a great track record. Everybody starts somewhere, right? I mean, if you go read the book of Ephesians, you find out we used to be dead in trespasses and sins. Everybody started from zero, right? So if you don't have a prayer life, just start one. I dare you. I triple dog dare you. If you don't believe a thing that I said this week, prove me wrong. Go ahead. If you don't believe a thing I've said today about prayer, I dare you to prove me wrong. I dare you to commit 10 minutes of your day to God and see if he doesn't fill it. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.